This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Charlie Warzel's first day as an internet content creator did not get off to the smoothest of starts. I was like, okay, like crack your knuckles. Like it's time to go and uh, and start uh, day one as an entrepreneur. It was Tuesday. And Charlie had just left a job as an opinion writer at the New York Times to start a newsletter. The only laptop I had at the time was the New York Times laptop. Uh, and I was like, I, I can get like another like day out of this, you know, and I opened it up and it was just like completely wiped, just like locked, like enter in, you know, administrator passcode. And I was just like, <sighs> And his subscribers, many of whom were shelling out $6 a month or 65 a year, were expecting a post. You know, it's. Day one, you got to like deliver for these people who are now paying you money to subscribe to, you know, your publication. So I uh, opened up my phone and I just started like, all right, let's blog. Furiously <laughs> blogging from my phone. So, uh, so yeah, we're uh, Galaxy Brain is off to a, uh, a roaring start. Galaxy Brain is the name of Charlie's newsletter. It comes from this meme with a picture of a brain and a series of expanding thoughts, each one more grandiose and ludicrous than the next. And like a lot of things on the internet, it's a meme about the internet and how it gets into our heads. It's a joke, but it's also sort of not. That duality mirrors Charlie's life right now. He's been thinking and writing about the internet for years, including about how people monetize themselves online in new and different ways. And now he's decided to monetize himself online in a new and different way, leaving traditional media, the New York Times, to write a newsletter for Substack, the latest hot platform. So I, I've i been doing a lot of reporting in the last couple of months in the times around like the attention economy and just attention as a subject in general. And that kind of led me to thinking a lot and doing a lot of reporting around creators. And, and I kind of felt like they were to some degree, creators are like the canaries in the content minds, right? Like they're sort of like are subject to a lot of these online dynamics that a lot of us are going to be subject to like normal people. And I wanted to some degree to do this as an experiment because I'm writing about it, like to live in that world as I cover it. Today on the show, why people like Charlie are walking away from perfectly good jobs and going it alone online. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Over the past few years, I've started to feel like everyone I know has a newsletter. Some are about parenting. Some are recommendations for what to read or watch. A lot of them are free, but there are a few that I pay five or six bucks a month for. And that last part, that people are willing to pay for content that feels personal and considered, is something that Silicon Valley investors have latched onto. Consider Substack, the company that Charlie is publishing his newsletter through. It started in 2017 and is now valued at $650 million. There are thousands of Substack newsletters and reportedly millions of readers. Part of Substack's plan, according to one of its main investors, is that the promise of money and editorial freedom would make people like Charlie jump. I think, honestly, most people listening to this would think giving up A steady job, even if we take the New York Times out of this equation, giving up any steady job with name recognition, health insurance, good benefits to take a gamble on the Internet by yourself is bananas. Why did you do it? I did it because... A thing that a thing that really happened for me was that like my a lot of my priorities changed, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I started to get really kind of burned out by the news and the news cycle, and I started noticing that the things I was gravitating towards as a writer were like quieter or a little bit like off the news. And I would write those things and I would get this great feedback from people. It, it would speak to them in some way or start this conversation. And we'd have these great offline conversations and it was difficult to like harness them. And I just felt like that there was something there, that there was this kind of like a yearning for stuff that was a little off the ball. Like I, that there's so much just like a deluge of news. Right. And what people want is is that context, and it's not always fitting that that like that closing you know news cycle window frame, um, and it just felt like chasing audience after a while. I saw you use that phrase in something that you had written about this, and I guess I I understand that impulse, and I'm trying to square it with the idea of then starting a thing on your own, which requires so much work, and you know to another degree chasing a different kind of audience, an audience of paying subscribers. Sure. Like, I wonder how you think about that. I think I was, I was burned out in a, in a, in a specific kind of way of, of like having to peg things to a very specific conversation. What I'm not burned out of is like building something that I think has like long and sustaining value. Mm. There's this uh, Twitch streamer, Hassan Piker, um, who I've talked to a bunch and when I first met him, I went on his stream and, you know, there's like 50,000 people on it. And it's just this crazy, like stream of comments, but he has this like discord channel and inside it, he and his audience are constantly like basically building out his show every day. Like it is totally collaborative. They're like telling him what they want. 
him to talk about, showing him interesting things, like challenging him. He's challenging them. It's this like very interesting sort of form of audience and like journalist or creator or pundit interaction. And I think that I'm not saying like it's the future of whatever, like, but it's it's fascinating. I want to talk about the specifics of Substack for a second, because it feels like it's everywhere. And part of that is it's because it's disrupting our business, the media business. But it's not just that. I mean, one of the biggest stars on Substack is Heather Cox Richardson, who's an historian. What is Substack doing right? Well, I mean, what they're doing right is also maybe to some degree what they're doing wrong, which is they're kind of staying out of it to some degree, right? So, you know, I didn't take a deal, right? I didn't take right. any advance. You didn't take one of these Substack pros where they give you a big bunch of money up front and in return for that, Substack keeps a lot of revenue on the back end right. for that first year. Right. So I didn't sign a contract. Like I didn't, you know, like like I had a conversation basically with with some people and it was kind of like, if I did this, what what would it look like? Like what, you know, what kind of resources do I need up front? It was the weirdest sort of like, you know, taking a job kind of thing you could take because you really like weren't doing it. It was incredibly hands-off. You know, it was like, we'll give you some resources in terms of, you know, best practices and like they're paying for, um, they're subsidizing some healthcare for me, which is important, but like very hands-off. This is the freedom that's so enticing to so many people. And it's one of the reasons that big names like Glenn Greenwald or advice columnist Heather Haverleski or Slate's own Dear Prudence, Danny Lavery, have launched their own newsletters. Part of the pitch is that Substack gives writers the infrastructure to publish and process payments. If someone charges for their newsletter, Substack takes a cut, 10%. Other than that, they let writers do what they want and then let the writer's specific audiences find them. I was talking to somebody who runs a very, very niche technical kind of Substack for a specific industry, and I'm not going to say who, but um, they were like, I was never at my old publication allowed to write long explainers about like X technical weird thing. And every time they do it now, their posts go huge, like huge out external traffic. They're beloved by the subscribers. It nets them a ton of paid subscribers. Like they're making great money. And it's this weird thing that's like, this would be sort of the opposite of newsworthiness, you know? Um, so I think what they're doing right is they're like letting people do the thing that they find really interesting uh, and and kind of staying out of it to that degree. Also, in some sense, that's why they're in trouble. Substack's been criticized on two fronts. First, the company is paying several high-profile writers six figures up front in those Substack Pro deals. Other writers who don't get those deals have to build a paying audience themselves without the company cash. The other part of this, though, goes back to the freedom thing. Substack lets controversial people say controversial things about trans issues, feminism, race, and free speech. And controversy gets traffic. The idea is, if you're staying out of it, if you're not, say, in their editing, you know, for accountability, say, or letting your creators be kind of as controversial as they want to be that gets them attention... That's good for the bottom line, but is it, I don't know, capital G good? Yeah, that 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm very, 
I'm very conflicted about a, about a lot of it, right? Um, and yet you decided to go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a sense, because like I'm going to be accountable to myself in this, like I, I'm doing, I'm doing my thing. Um, but I'm really interested in building a community and doing work that is meaningful and helps people understand a lot of these dynamics and forces. I, I want to build a place for like civil disagreement, for iterative ideas, for, you know, unpacking complex subjects. Like I, I have this desire to, to do this thing. And I think that that is a net good for the internet. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to build the internet I want. And I understand that that is requiring me to leverage a platform that has people on it that I don't agree with and who espouse views that I don't agree with. I, I don't know that you can ever be like perfectly moral <laughs> on the internet. And so I think that the opportunity for me to build what I want to build I think that outweighs taking a moral stand on a platform with tens of thousands of people on it. There's also money in it. If Charlie signs up just 1,000 yearly subscribers, that's $65,000 minus expenses and Substack's cut. And other writers who've moved to Substack are reportedly making well into the six figures. After the break... Who has the power here, creators or platforms? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. It's not just Substack, of course. In the past few years, there's been an explosion of ways to make money from your personal brand online. Patreon, Tiny Letter, Ghost, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Cameo. So many different platforms to monetize that inner thought, creative choreography, or everyday relatability. There's this concept from the founding editor of Wired, Kevin Kelly, called A Thousand True Fans. And I don't know how familiar you are with this, but I feel like it gets to the heart of what you're doing. And his idea is you don't need millions of dollars, you don't need millions of customers. Like, to make a living as a whatever, you need a thousand true fans. And those people will follow you and pay for that. I I actually spoke to Kevin about this and sort of, like, asked him where where he thought it was going. And I think he feels pretty vindicated by 
what's happening right now because I think I just think that this creator economy is maturing towards towards that end, towards you know having a small group of people who care a lot about you and who can sort of support your work. I think it's great. I think that it's it's a sort of a healthier, more sustainable version of the internet. But I also think it is still mediated through platforms. Well, if you're a creator, what do you do with that? Because even if you're supposedly independent, you can't be utterly divorced from the platform without, you know, showing up at somebody's house and just talking at them. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just you came up with the future, right? It's just like singing telegrams, but with influencers like doing TikTok dances. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about about this, but I'm fascinated by the idea that we're probably going to see not like traditional like unionization, but I think we're going to see some kind of collective creator action in ways that we haven't before at some point. And, you know, I, I, cause I think that there's a way in which you can kind of tilt your head and squint and look at some of what is happening through these labor lenses. And, you know, you can say like, it's, it's super messed up if, if, you know, these creators come to this platform bring just tons of people with them, amass these huge audiences, make these platforms tons of money. And then the platforms say, hey, you know, we're going to tweak this piece of our algorithm and we're going to, you know, cut your revenue by 40%, right? That's like a kind of taxation without representation, right? Like you didn't agree to, to those terms. And especially as the income streams diversify and it's maybe less reliant on one platform or the other. When something like that happens, I think you're going to start seeing people band together and say like, hey, you know, I mean, to some degree, we have to go where the eyeballs are. But in another sense, we have a little more power here than we thought. Charlie has been mulling over the idea that maybe creators could take their thousand true fans and refuse to be captive to a platform's recommendation algorithm. What if a bunch of creators say like, hey, you know what, like you have to be transparent about your algorithms or we're leaving. Like you have to give us some sense of what's going on and hey, we've banded together and hey, we formed this organization and we're going to take our stuff elsewhere. I, I just think that, that it's, it's possible that like some of these issues could get solved that way. You mentioned this idea of a creator middle class and it's something that this venture capitalist Lee Jin wrote about. You have talked with her about it. And I wonder how we do solve this problem. The, the idea that there are the people who get the huge payouts up front or the massive subscriber bases. And then, you know, the idea that someone on Spotify needs three and a half million streams per year to just get the equivalent of minimum wage. Where where does the potential middle come from? I mean, one thing that is just the huge glaring hole in all of this is the blunt American fact that healthcare is tied to your job, to tied to employment. Like it, it's just, it's going to be a massive problem for anyone who wants to create a, a freelance lifestyle out of this, because then you're going to have to, you know, it, it, it's, it's so precarious. And it also is like, it's the big, right. It's the big hurdle preventing lots of people from taking the leap who otherwise, yeah. you know, could, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the future of this because I mean, this is like a big industry. This being creating things on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And the influencer industry, um, you know, like I was talking to a person who runs like a big company that tries to like help influencers out of LA, you know, and they're like, it's, it's crazy to watch this play out in like every industry, right? Like the best 
dental surgeon, right? Like if they have a massive following on TikTok, you know, just showing people with teeth, like it helps their practice, right? Which has nothing to do with being a good creator, but like the influencer world, like impacts everything else. Being an influencer is like the number one most desired career right now for like young people. So like, how are we making that sustainable for them? If that is their American dream, quote unquote, and there's a massive hole in it, people who didn't take influencers or creators seriously until pretty recently. People thought of it as like kids dicking around on the internet, right? But I think we're starting to see that it is, it's a viable path for certain people. It's a really desirable path and it's like not going anywhere. Do you ever worry that the bottom's going to drop out? It's, it's scary, right? Like it's, the risk is, is part of the excitement and part of the reason to do it. There's two ways of looking at it right now. One is that like, I, I do think there is going to be a certain point where people are like, I can't pay, for, you know, $700 a month for a whole bunch of journalists. And like, then they will look over at something like the New York Times and be like, oh, you employ 1400 journalists and it costs me $5.99 a month. Like that's a pretty good deal. So I, I, I get that. And I think that that could happen. But also I think that most like human beings out in the world probably don't subscribe to a single sub stack and probably barely know what it is. When and how are you going to know if this is working? I mean, one is obviously like checking in after a year, but I don't think that this is ever going to be a failure. And the reason why I say that is like, right now I'm building out an email list. Like I'm building out a group of, of, of people who care about this and I'm going to work my ass off to continue to be in conversation with them and build their trust. And that relationship isn't gonna go away because I didn't make a lot of money. Because I'm not in it to become, you know, a mega millionaire or something like that, or the king of my content empire. Because <laughs> I'm in it because I want to, I want to deepen my relationship with people who care about the things that I care about. I don't know that I can fail in that specific way, like fully fail. Charlie Warzel, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Charlie Warzel writes the newsletter Galaxy Brain. All right, that's the show. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I want to recommend you go back and listen to Thursday's episode of What Next. It helped me understand the concerns around the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine and put them in context. All right, What Next? We'll be back on Monday. Have a good weekend. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., 
on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs> <laughs>